0: This morning is Sunday. It is March 25th. Our message is The Four Soils. Y'all excited? You don't get very many New Testament sermons in here. How about that? The Four Soils. But we're going to start in Genesis 2.15 as usual. (laughs) Have you ever considered that the very first human being put on the earth was given a job? He had a job description. And in Genesis 2.15 we start to see what that is. Just prior to this, God has said, Hey, Adam, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue the earth. The actual words in Hebrew speak more of replenishing the earth, filling it with the goodness and the blessings of God. But before God took Adam and spread him all over the earth, He put him in a specific place. Let's pick up in the second chapter of Genesis, the 15th verse. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, To work it and to take care of it. Why was man put here? To work and take care of the garden. His calling was to take care of the world. To bring it into submission to God. His job was to work in the earth, bringing the blessings and goodness of God everywhere that he goes. He wasn't able alone. And God appointed him a helpmate. And what a beautiful story that is. But I want you to understand something. The garden was not the end of the task. It was a beginning. This was a bunny slope, if you will, for those of you that have ever snow skied. This was a practice court. And in this practice court, God gives man some commands. Let's look at that. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. I want you to pay careful attention. This is the very first command a man was ever given. What are these words? You are free. Those of us that have been tricked by a worldly Christianity, some imposter that claims to be a bride and is not, we have been taught that Christianity is a life of restriction. You are a Christian because of what you don't do. You are a Christian because you don't say certain words, don't eat certain foods or drink certain substances. The Bible never teaches that that's what makes you a Christian. The first words God ever spoke to a human being when He was empowering him to perform his task is you are free. I love the next part. Free to eat. <laughs> Whoa! And you can see I enjoy that, my friends. This ten is expanding. It's alright, I read in Leviticus, the fat belongs to the Lord. Keeping it in proper balance, Paul did tell Timothy physical exercise is of some value. <laughs> Not a bad idea, friends. We want to live to reach our, our callings, don't we? Amen. So the first thing that God ever tells a man is, you are free. Wow. But how did man do with that freedom? (laughs) God said, look, look around you, buddy. Everywhere you go, you need it all. Just don't eat from the one place. And how enticing is that? What is it about us? We're made of the dirt, and the dirt was tainted when we got here. What is it about us that craves the one thing that we're not supposed to have? It's a sinful nature, friends identify it, be at war with it, mark it, go to war against it. You are not the sum of these animal parts. What you are is a spirit created by God, breathed from God. The Hebrew says that when God breathed into Adam, it was His Ruach, it was His Holy Spirit, His divine impression that got imprinted on a man. Each one of you carries a divine image of God in you. This is what it means when it says man was made in the very image of God. This is what we're called to be. We just happen to live in this tent that is a body, and it is decaying. I will not let what is decaying and what is temporal dictate to what is inside of me and is, and is eternal what we'll do each day. It's going to be the other way around, friends. What Adam failed to do in this situation was he decided that he wanted for himself the right in the decision to choose good from evil. And instead, what God wants of us is to lay those decisions at His feet and be led by His very Spirit. Man has not done very good with this freedom that God has given us. Now, I rarely lie when I preach, so you don't have to turn to this verse, but I want to read it to you. In Galatians 5, the 13th verse, it's worth writing down, saints. You, my brothers... We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You are free to do anything that you want to do, but not everything is good for you to do. When you present yourself towards certain things as if you were a slave and it were your master, then it gains dominance in your life. Saints, you are to have one Lord, one Master, His name is Adonai. It's written up here. Yeshua, the Hamashiach. This is Jesus, Yahweh's means of salvation, the One Anointed One who is to rule over us. We are to have one husband. He is a jealous God and will not share us with other things. Saints, today we need to consider competing interests in our lives. We need to consider what it is that has damaged the soil of our hearts. Where there are thorns and thistles that are competing with the true precious fruit that God is trying to bear in us. God gave man all the freedom in the world, but He has told us, do not use your freedom to sin. It's a funny thing. I've been in churches that were full of prisoners. And I have been in prisons that were full of the freest men I've ever met. There was a glorious freedom. I was in a place called Dixon Correctional Facility in Louisiana. And when I stepped through the doors and we began to praise and worship the Lord, and the prisoners began to call on the name of Jesus, I knew immediately that despite the bars, these were the freest men that I would ever met. The contrast was stepping into a Sunday morning service where everybody had all the freedom in the world but acted just like prisoners, captive to their own sin, 1 John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God has appeared is to destroy the enemy's work. Saints, it's time. It is time to lay aside the filth and the garbage of this world and be exactly what we're called to be. It is time to stand up and be the giant killers that God has called us to be. How long will we wander in a sloth of despondency, looking, waiting, saying, God hasn't spoken, or one day I will. Or, that's good for others, but how about me? Every human being is given a task. I want you to subdue the powers of the earth, and I want you to fill it with the goodness of God. Have you ever asked yourself, where is God in this situation? Go look in the mirror. What were you doing in that situation? We are His hands and feet on the earth. His throne is in a high and lofty place, but it is also in the hearts of lowly and contrite men. Isaiah 57 says, prepare, prepare, build up, build up, remove the obstacles from My people. God is looking for a people who will go out and do His work. I believe that He called this church to start in this place to begin that work. And we're joining with brothers all over the world who have the same heart that we do. Isn't it just like Jesus to call the uncommon? <laughs> we serve a God who will take a man and make a nation. We serve a God who will take a boy and kill a giant. Who will take a man who's in love with a Philistine bride use him to destroy the Philistines. We serve a God of contradiction. His prophets run the other way and yet somehow accomplish His will. They get swallowed by whales and saved by the very same whales burped up on a beach. So I'm not all of that confused that God would choose sawdust floors, if you will, to teach His message. He gets great joy in pleasure at getting the credit for the work. He really, really does. In Genesis 6, we begin to see what man has done with his freedom. There you go, brother. Y'all there? Yeah. Been there. You've heard me say before, I was at a place called Beit in Israel. This is the place where King Saul was killed. And today in Beit Shem survives a street, a Roman street called a cardo. This Roman street called a cardo goes right down the center. It's what we call the main drag. This is where we get the word. Cardo is a Latin translation of a Hebrew word, leb. It means the center of a human being. It means the very core where everything is beginning to happen. This is who you are. Your spirit in there. It's your heart. And listen to what God says in Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. How about that? He creates a man and says, You are free. And what does the man do with freedom? causes wickedness to multiply on the earth. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord was grieved that He had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. That means that in the very center of who God is, somewhere is if He had a chest with a central circulatory system pumping in it. It hurt when He saw what man did with freedom. Any parent that has ever sent a child off to college only to hear that they spent their time in drunkenness and party rather than school knows exactly what that's like. When we receive our taste of freedom in areas, what we do with that freedom shows what is really in our hearts. Integrity is not what you do in the confines of a church. Integrity is not what you do when your friends are on your left and your right. Integrity is what you do in your freedom when no one is looking except God. Friends, we are born of a different spirit than this world. Ephesians 2 declares that this world's spirit is the spirit of disobedience. But the spirit that we have received leads us into all truth, knowledge, and righteousness. It is the very character of Christ. Perfectly obedient even to death on a cross. I challenge you this morning, saints, to examine the soil of your hearts. Proverbs 4.23 teaches this, it says, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. I don't know if you've ever lived in an area where water was not plentiful. I haven't, but I've traveled there. And friends, when you don't have water every day, running as easy as we do at these sinks, your wells become very important. Wars are fought over water sources. Because without this life-giving water, You can't survive in dry places. The Bible teaches that your very heart is to be guarded like a wellspring. Because what God has deposited in your hearts is what brings life to you. All too often we have a garbage in and garbage out mentality. We praise Jesus on Sunday and then we fill our very center of our beings with garbage all week and wonder why our very first thoughts in a situation are garbage. Saints, there is an answer for this problem. Turn with me to Mark 3. You all with me this morning? You know, I did a wedding, and at the wedding only two people speak, right? The bride and the groom speak back. But in church, you can all answer me. It won't hurt my feelings. How embarrassing will it be for you if your pastor cries and runs out disappointed, huh? Come on, talk to me this morning. In Mark 3... We're actually going to be in Mark 4, but I want to tell you something about Mark 3. Have you ever wondered, my God, if I do those things Eric is talking about, if I do that which I really know is right, everybody will think I'm crazy. Right? If you've been living for Jesus, they think you're crazy already. Watch this about our King. This is something that is not highly publicized in South Louisiana where I'm from. In the 20th verse of the 3rd chapter, it says, Then Jesus entered a house... And again, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, He is out of his mind. The Lord of glory, anointed of God, never having sinned, because he was totally consumed with the will of God, his own family thought he was crazy. Friend, sometimes when you are consumed with what God has told you to do, you will stand out like a star laid against the blackness of the heavens. People will think that you are crazy, but they will stand back and admire what is going on in your life. The world is looking for one thing, a Christian without compromise. This doesn't mean a perfect individual. Even if you were, you can see here, they wouldn't believe it. This doesn't mean a person who is high and lofty and looks down on everyone. This means a man who is driven by one thing, getting it right and doing the will of the Father. This means that you're willing to go and say, I am sorry. I messed up. My God requires more of me than this. And I let you down. Boy, you have never been in an office situation that is fun until you make a mistake in front of the entire office place. And then you get to go and repent to them. You hear the funniest things. I told one young man that I worked with who was a comptroller in our business. It means he controlled the purse strings. I said, you know, at that party the other evening, I didn't handle myself well. I repent and I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 Eric. You, you did fine. You were just having fun. No, sir. I sinned and it was wrong. And I apologize. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Oh, no, Eric. No, it's, it's okay. Why is he so hesitant to just forgive me and move on? Because it brings conviction in his bones. He knows that in watching my life, if I'm convicted by that and know that it's not right, it forces him to look into the mirror of his life. Saints, get off of the high ideal that says your witness is getting it right in front of everybody all of the time. Your witness is that you are a man made of the same substance they are. But in the center of your being, something drives you. And I'm sick of hearing about Christians People who wear the name Jesus. Who say, I am a Christian. I'm a youth leader. I'm a blah, 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 blah. But there is nothing in the core of them driving them. No passion. These people are waves without water. They're wind that goes here and there and produces nothing. Clouds without rain, Jude said. What a confusing statement. I am Christ. I'm a Christian. And yet I act like a worm. This ought not be. Saints, it's time to stand up. It's time to be the thing that God has called us to be. Lay aside your ambitions. Lay aside everything that would distract you. There is but one commanding officer to please. Paul told Timothy, no soldier concerns himself with civilian affairs. His goal is to please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Saints, you are supposed to be in the army of the Lord. There is one person's approval that you seek. We learn from Joseph's story that the approval of the Father may bring you into discontent with your brothers. But they can't sell you into slavery or put you in such a deep hole that God can't raise you to the top of the mountain. The Egyptians gave Joseph the name Zaphnath paneah This is the Egyptian world speaking of a Hebrew. And in their tongue it meant, you are our Savior. People cannot put you in such a deep hole that God can't elevate you out of it. Quit worrying about what a man thinks. We all say we don't. We put bumper stickers on our car that say, ain't scared, no fear. And inside we are prisoners and captive to it. Free yourself of it this morning. Examine the soil of your heart. Jesus' own family thought He was crazy and look how He treated them. In the 31st verse, You know why I said brother, sister, and mother? Because Jesus had a brother there, a sister there, and a mother there. Well, that didn't go over well in parts of the world I'm from. That's right. He had a brother, a sister, and a mother. And you know what? He'd never put His family before God. Not at any time. Because He was here to please the One who sent Him. And you know what? Eventually the family fell in line. It's the funniest thing, Christians. When you take a stand for God, you will receive resistance. You'll receive resistance from the devil. You'll receive resistance from your families. And you'll probably receive resistance from the worldly, lethargic, fat, bloated church. But the longer you stand, the more they'll fall in line behind you because they will respect what you do. Jesus' mother came around. Jesus' brother came around. Jesus' sisters came around came around. They were all in the upper room on the day they got filled with the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. They came around. It's when we yield and waver and every wind that blows on us causes us to faint that the world looks and goes, what are these Christians anyway? A bunch of pansies? It's time to be what we're called to be. In the fourth chapter of Mark, there is a title above it. What does your title say? Can I tell you something that hopefully doesn't hurt your feelings? That's not inspired. Have you ever held up a book and said, I believe that this is the inspired Word of God, flawless, every word God breathed? Right? The titles were not given to us by God. They were put there by men. Same with the verse designations. Just like your concordance in the back did not come from God, or your maps did not come from God. And here they get it wrong, friends. The whole point of this parable is not the sower, The sower is the same in every single instance. He does what sowers do. What do sowers do? Sow seed. There is a big difference in this parable with every place he sows the seed though. It represents men's hearts and they are all different. This morning the question is what kind of heart do you have? Dave gets to write, but not yet. I'm just giving you a pen. Getting you ready, brother. If you wear a sports coat, and sit on the front row? You might have to write on the board. <laughs> Y'all begin with me in 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around Him was so large that He got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. I don't feel bad preaching in a garage. Jesus preached in a boat. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, He taught them many things by parables. And in His teaching, He said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up. It grew. It produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, some of you girls, even a few of you guys, your hair covers where your ears might be. Am I missing it though? Is there anybody in here without a set of ears? then this parable is for us. This parable is because God wants to teach us something. Now, you might be able to empathize with me, or maybe not, I don't know. But when I was born again, I began to read this Word. It was something that was insatiable in me. And the first night, I had read through Matthew, and this parable is also in Matthew. And I remember looking and going, what does this mean? You know, what are these soils? And I was perplexed by it, right? I get up and I'm pacing around the house and I'm praying for divine revelation, right? Lord, I know You can speak to me. That's how I got born. Show me what this means. I'm frustrated. seems like nothing's happening. I'm just staring at the ceiling, right? I go over and I open my Bible and I begin to read. found out Jesus explained exactly what it meant. I just didn't read far enough. So often the church is waiting for more revelation from God instead of reading what is right before them and putting it into practice. We are not in need of anything else, saints. You are not in need of some new touch, some new divine thing. First Peter declares that God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You might say the ball's in your court now. He's done what it takes for you to be righteous. He's done what it takes for you to be empowered. The question is, what will you do if you thought that you would sit in these seats this morning, be mildly entertained, Walk out amused and with a smile on your face. I don't intend to make it that easy for any of you. We serve a God who is worthy of our life's obedience. It's not sacrifice He desires. It's an obedient heart. Watch this. When He was alone, the twelve and the others around Him asked Him about the parable. He told them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to those outside, everything is said in parables. Friends, you are holding in your hand a book that explains the secrets of the kingdom of God. You ever been in school and went and bought cliff notes? Right? You don't want to have to read the whole thing. You just give me what I need that will be on the test. These days, now you can buy people's actual notes or maybe even, God forbid, the test from the year before online, right? Yeah, if you, few if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I hope my physics teacher never hears this. But there was a young lady who was somewhat fond of me when I was in high school. And I was lost. And so I manipulated that. I got her to give me her notebook from the year before that the teacher read from verbatim. What an advantage that was. I knew what was on every test. I had all of the answers. She wanted me to go to physics literary rally. I politely declined. This book before us it's like having the notebook, the answers to what's on the test. Men have died to get you this. Its pages ought to be written in blood. The first people that printed an English Bible, a Bible in a language that you could read, were burned on the printing presses by a wicked Romanistic church. That makes this book precious. It ought not be something just laying in the back of your car collecting dust. In it is life. In it is life. Pick up in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path. David, number one is seed along the path. You can just put the path. Make sure there's room to write four of these. Yep, going down. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the Word that was sown in them away. Of the four kinds of hearts there are out there, some have no room for the Word of God. As soon as your heart begins to get pricked with the message, as soon as you begin to be inspired about obedience, Satan is right there to convince you it's not true. It's not worthwhile. And the weak-minded person accepts the lie. And continues in blissful ignorance, waiting for the day of judgment. Others are like seeds sown in rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly—what's those words? Fall away. Fall away. You can raise up for yourself denominations that teach you this is not possible. This is rocky places. You can raise up for yourself comforting doctrines that say this cannot happen. And yet the Word remains true. This is written here in Mark. It's also written the exact same wording in Luke. There are people in this world. There may even be people in this church that's yet to be determined. That read the Word or hear the Word and faith is born in their heart and they're excited and they begin to spring up like a Roman candle. But trouble and persecution and a lack of roots. Your roots are your foundation. What God has taught you through discipleship. The encouragement of the fellowship of believers. They quickly fall away. If you haven't lived to see this happen in people, you are blessed. In the last 14 years, many people that began to run this race with me are no longer doing it. They don't admit to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I still love the Lord. He knows my heart. (laughs) Yes, sir. He knows your heart. Do you? When you look in the mirror, do you really believe the lies that you tell yourself? James says it's not the hearers of the Word who are blessed. It is those who do it. He also says the Word planted in you can... Save you. Can. Saints, that's something worth thinking about. The first seed never gets saved. The second seed begins in salvation with joy, one of the first fruits that God has redeemed you. But as soon as there is a cost to being a Christian, it quickly fades into the background. You want to be a Christian because you don't want to go to hell. But when it comes to doing what is hard and extending the kingdom on earth, you choose to extend hell into the life of the people around you by not living like Jesus. It's okay. God sees that and He will reward you by extending what you've extended to others to you for an eternity. If you choose to advance the kingdom of God in people's lives, you'll live in the kingdom of God for an eternity. If you choose to advance hell into people's lives, you've chosen your home. Hmm. When you step on rocky soil, it might hurt your feet, huh? Well, that's the truth. Can't walk with God with rocky soil. It doesn't work. Let me tell you a secret. It starts by not showing up for church. The next step is not reading the Word. The next step Maybe you're not hanging out with Christians anymore. They're just boring. Why did God... What is the first command God gave us? You are free. Christians ought not be people bound in restrictions. Christians ought not be boring, nerdy people. kept me from getting saved for a long time. I saw all Christian men as effeminate. I was scared to death that if I was going to be born again, it meant I was going to marry an ugly woman. I saw prudish people everywhere I went, scared to death to touch anything in the world for fear that it might taint their holiness. I found out that the Bible presents an entirely different perspective. We are free to enjoy everything this world has to offer. We are just not free to sin. It is not wrong for you to enjoy music because you like it. It is not wrong for you to enjoy food because it is good food. It is not wrong for you to enjoy the company of your spouse God put these things here for our enjoyment. We just cannot indulge a sinful, corrupt nature. The world would have us take everything and corrupt it and make it perverse. But we are the kind of people that can take everything and see purity in it. Does the Word not say to the pure, all things are pure? But the church doesn't believe it. They hide in their corners. They close their doors at Halloween and turn off their lights so that nobody would dare think they participated in a festival where you give kids candy. They throw away their Christmas trees. Put aside pictures of the fat guy in the red suit because we want everybody to know it's about Jesus. That's right. Go live in a cave. Put a burlap sack over your head. Show everybody how holy you are by hiding. Saints, we are called to be the salt of the earth. When the Bible says salt of the earth, He's speaking to a people that thought that this stuff was like gold. If you didn't have refrigeration, the only thing that made food taste good was salt. And it was a sign of something that endured because it was a preservative. We are supposed to be that thing scattered all over the earth that brings life and vibrance to it. The church ought to be the most beautiful picture of a renaissance that there's ever been. Full of life. Full of everything that is good and to be enjoyed by God. The church has become so corrupt in so many ways, we pray over our food before. Lord, bless this, because since it came from the earth, it has to be dirty and tainted. The Jews never did this. They prayed afterwards. Thank you, Lord God, for filling us with the abundance of the earth. There is a difference in perspective. And when we begin to see that and live like it, what we have will become attractive to those that are outside. You are free. You are just not free to sin. Amen, that is as good as it gets. Verse 18, Still other seed sown among the thorns, hear the Word. Dave, number three, seed sown among the thorns. Still other seed sown among the thorns, hear the Word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. Having the Word planted in you, living in it, dwelling in it is great. It's awesome. It will cause you to grow and you will begin to bear fruit. But be careful what you let grow alongside it. Judah, what is the first commandment? You shall have no gods besides or alongside Me. Nobody in the church ever admits to this. Jesus, You are My only You are the Lord. You are my God. But don't dare take away my Xbox or my pretty house or my nice job or my lady. Whatever it might be, God is a jealous God. He must be first. And anything that you have must be the gift that He has given you. Friends, if you won't risk it for Him, then you really don't trust Him. How many homes compromise the Word of God because one spouse is scared that the other one won't follow? How many people go in the workplace and they compromise the Word of God because they say it's just not possible to be a salesman and live like Jesus? Liar. It can be done. It's just harder. You need to decide. Do you want the easy way? The broad path? Or do you want the narrow way? Telling the truth always takes a little more work. But it is always much more effective and it carries no baggage. You sleep with a clean conscience. I'm a Christian who has sold ice machines, used cars, new cars, financial products, security systems. Yeah, whatever I could sell. You know why? I like to eat. (laughs) Uh huh. How could you be a Christian and be a salesman? I like to eat. That's how. I'm just going to be a different one, a good one. You'd be amazed how people come to you. The only downside is Christians don't like you to make money on them. You ought to be proud to give your money to a Christian. Right? You'd rather be tricked and swindled than give it to somebody who's lost? I used to pray when I was in the car business. Lord, send me somebody lost. The Christians don't understand how this works. I'm never ashamed to give a tip now or to make sure that a salesman makes money because I trust my God to supply all of my needs. Amen? I know we got some salesmen in the room today and I know what that's like. Verse 18, Still other seed is sown among the thorns. They hear the Word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, friends, the love of money, oh it's the root of many kinds of evil, and the desires for other things come and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the Word. They accept it, and they produce a crop under this, right? 30, 60, and 100. There are four kinds of soils for the human heart. One is a hard heart. Somebody who has worked at searing their conscience so that the Word no longer pricks their hearts. Another is a heart that gladly receives almost any message that comes along and is joyful about it. This week, Hare Krishna. Next week, Buddha. Third week, Jesus the Christ. Until it is difficult. The third one is probably the most common. It's a seed that is growing and is the planting of God, but you have never done the work to make your heart right before God. You've never gotten rid of the idols. Anybody in here garden? Everybody who gardens knows what this is. What is that, Craig? Weed and feed. Weed and feed. And this one's got a bonus. Ant killer. Friends, your hearts were not born pure. they got weeds in them. They have weeds in them that come from living in this tainted earth. They have weeds in them that are caused, James says, by your own evil desires. And there is only one thing that begins to prepare the soil of your heart. Can we all honestly say we don't want to be the hard path? No. Yeah. Who wants to be the hard path? Go ahead, we'll call you out. No? no. Anybody in here want to admit to be in the rocky place? No, probably not. The seed sown amongst thorns at least has a chance. It's growing. It's got a good root system. It just needs to weed out some of the garbage from this world not a life of restriction, doing what it takes to be useful for Jesus. Because we want to be good soil, don't we? Now, if you're going to be good soil, do you want to be good soil that is 30-fold? Or do you want to shoot for 100? I don't know what it's like to aim small. I don't know what it's like to aim low. I only know what it is like to aim for perfection. That's what the Word teaches us to do. When you're looking for a mate, did you look for the first one that you thought might work? Eh. It's kind of mediocre, but it might work. No, of course not. You pick the best mate you could possibly find. The day that I married Jennifer, I felt like I had gotten away with something.
1: <laughs>
0: like the next day she was going to go, What have I done? And I'm amazed. 14 years later, she's still happy. Only Jesus could do something like that. And you thought you had never seen a miracle. Turn with me to Hebrews. The Word of God is like weed and feed for your very heart because your heart is a wellspring of life. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter. There you go, my friend. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you there was a long time period in my life I know a little bit about what I'm speaking about where I had been brought into a church and I learned to say the right things. And truthfully, there was a seed planted in my heart. It was so obscured and hidden by thorns that you couldn't really call me saved. You're only saved if you finish the race with fruit. And I'm a long ways from standing before the King. And because my life was so obscured by thorns, I was neither hot nor cold and in danger of being vomited from God's mouth. And a man came who was unconventional. God is so kind. There was a prophecy in here earlier about being made for the hand of God, being used to reap a harvest. I find out that we are all different, that our personalities are of God's designing. Because I had heard preacher after preacher cut from the exact same cloth. You know, they had that 50 mile an hour haircut, slicked back, they had the right kind of suit. They learned to all agree to say the same things about God in their nice, neat little doctrinal statement. And somebody really fouled it up. They came to my school and they didn't fit that mold. Had on flip-flops, blue jeans, and a t-shirt, and God only knows who let them in. But the man brought the fire. He said, You cannot say that you have fellowship with the Father and walk in darkness. You lie. You don't practice the truth. Boy, that stone. He looked seemingly right at me and said, you cannot hate your brother, you can see. And love God that you can't see. I leaped to my feet and said, are you saying once saved, always saved? Is not true. Because I was in a Baptist school, right? I was sitting right next to a young lady that... I didn't want this kind of convicting, preaching, destroying our relationship. But I couldn't shake it. Matthew 7.21 said, Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom. But only he who hear this, saints, does the will of my Father. I could say, Lord, Lord, I won the Bible award in school that year. That means I could quote more Scripture back then lost than most of you can saved. And yet I knew I was not doing the will of the Father and I was terrified. I was terrified. For the first time in my life, God had used a different kind of sickle to reap the harvest of my heart, but has not been without effect. I love Him so much that I am not scared to put you on the spot I'm not scared to say, show me your faith by what you do. I'm not scared to laugh in your face when you tell me you're a Christian and have no fruit. But that is so judgmental. I'm not a judge. I'm a fruit inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing... The soul and spirit joints in marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. You want to make sure that the soil of your heart is right? Invest the Word of God in it. Sprinkle the weed and feed that God gave us all into your heart. It will show you what is wrong. It will show you what you need to nourish. The beautiful thing about weed and feed is it both kills what is wrong and strengthens what is right. This is what the Word has given us for. How dare we let it collect dust? D.L. Moody said that this book ought to be bound in elephant's hide. It ought to be the most read book in the house. A long time ago, a story was related about a little boy much like mine that said, Mom, Dad, whose book is that? Oh, honey, that's the Lord's book. Well, Mom, should we return it? We don't read it. This is true of most of the church, but why? You say, well, I'm not very scholastic. When I read, I just want to go to sleep. Push through saints until you teach the flesh to do what your spirit knows is right and it will edify you. I watched The Simpsons. Oh, don't let that scare you. I used to call it the Simpsons. Then I watched a few episodes.
1: Bart Wilson's laying on his back, right? He's reading
0: something. Bart Wilson. What's his... That was another guy I used to What's his name? Bart Simpson. Simpson. Bart Simpson. One of my first bosses in life's name was Bart Wilson. Now that I think about it, there is a little resemblance there. So Bart Simpson. Yes. Bart Simpson's laying on his back reading a book on his couch. And he tosses it and says, oh, this is boring. And then the camera pans over and it's a Bible. What are they playing on? People have used as an excuse. They have covered their heart with this callous thing that says, oh, it's an old book, who can read it? It's I already know what it says. I hear preaching all of the time. You do whatever it can to insulate you from the weed and feed that will save your heart by protecting the soils of your heart. Friends, the lie is that if you simply receive the Word, you're good. It's not true. Three or four here fail. It's only He who produces thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold that makes it. Ephesians 2 teaches that God saved you so that you would do the work He prepared in advance for you to do. That's the fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Don't let the worldly church lie to you. You will not live like hell all the way to heaven. The book of Corinthians says, do not be deceived. Drunkers, idolaters, revelers, immoral. They will not inherit the kingdom. Oh, but he was talking about lost people. Then why did he write it to a present day church? Oh, but he was talking about those denominational Christians. Then why did he say in the first chapter that you have all of the spiritual gifts working in your midst? That's right, saints. He wrote it to people just like you. You might even say, He wrote it to you. When you pick up this Word, it ought to be a mirror showing you your very life. It's time to weed and feed. Flip to Hebrews 10. You're going to be in the 22nd verse. Who's there? Who's there? Mandy beat you all there. Y'all going to let a woman say, oh yeah, this woman is empowered by God, Holy Ghost filled, blood bought. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. How do you get full assurance of faith? You weeded all the garbage out of your heart. You know that what you are, it may not be perfect, but every bit of it belongs to God. And you are assured that He accepts you. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. The problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps squirming right off of the aisle whenever the fire gets hot. Unswervingly. Romans 4.13 speaks of Abraham says, He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And yet, he didn't waver through unbelief because he reasoned God is able to perform what He promised. How many of you in your thoughts have made God so small that He couldn't work in your situation? Say, I would never say that, Eric. But what do your actions say? Titus teaches that it is possible to acknowledge God with your mouth and deny Him with your very actions. I did street evangelism for years. People said, God knows my heart! I... He knows my heart. If I'd been there, I'd have been with Him, Eric. Then why aren't you with Him now? Amazing how fast they changed, wasn't it, Matthew? Yeah. We don't deal honestly with evaluating the soils of our own heart. I'm asking you, Saint, stare at the board. Which are you? Oh, did you think that because you're in here that makes you the first soil? If that were true, then going to McDonald's would make you a hamburger. And I once went to a Saints game. So that makes me an NFL athlete, right? How stupid. How stupid. And yet all of the world believes it. 80% of this nation claim to be Christians. But we have a divorce rate in excess of 50%. Children born out of wedlock in Louisiana anyway, 6 out of every 10. Oh, but we're all Christians. You don't do yourself any favor to lie about what you really are. You certainly don't do anybody else favors about lying to them. Raising up for ourselves pillow prophets and pansy pastors who pat you on the back and say, Every one of you, you're all such good boys and girls. Here, put money in the box. Yeah, when coin and coffer box rings from purgatory, a soul springs. Not a lot has changed in the last 400 years since the Reformation. There are still men who will tell you what you want to hear for money. But you didn't find one here today. I don't want your money. I want your lives. I want you 100% sold out for Jesus. I want you out storming the gates of hell, plundering it to populate heaven. Eric's just a holy roller. Friends, I live in a glass house. Lord, you can turn on a camera most of the time see what we're doing in here. My front door is almost never locked. I invite you over every night of the week without invitation. or You, you don't have to even call first. I am what I am, but I am that by the grace of God. And if nothing else, I am sold out for Jesus. It's the only thing I have going for me. When I arrived at this wedding, there were other pastors there. They wanted to know where I went to seminary. I love that question. I like to respond to it by, when did you fall head over heels in love for Jesus? There's always this long pause, like they didn't understand the question. Let's move on. We don't need to dwell on that. 1 Kings. Friends, I've been in seminary since the day I was born again. The Holy Ghost has been teaching me and I got the G.O.D. from the University of the Burning Bush. Same place Paul got it. 16. You know, I don't have time to do that. Watch 1 Kings 16. What I was going to tell you from First Kings 16 is Ahab was a bad guy. Y'all got it? Oh, good. We're there. What I was going to tell you in First Kings 17, Elijah looked at Israel. He decided that Israel was divided in many ways. They said they loved the Lord, but they also worshipped Asherah and Baal. He looked out there and Israel at this point could represent a man's heart. Too many conflicts in it to bless. So Elijah stood up before the nation and said, there will be no rain. This is not the kind of crop God wants to grow. There are lives out there that God cannot rain on because He doesn't rain in. You understand? I need to write those words for you to understand the difference. The blessings will not fall from heaven because faithfulness is not springing up from the earth. Instead, there's thorns and thistles everywhere. This was the state of Israel in the 17th chapter of Kings. We're going to pick up in the 18th chapter. Tell me when you're there. Verse 20, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. But if Baal is God... Follow Him. Get this, saints. God is not begging you to follow Him. We spend so much time talking about how He desires everyone to be saved. We forget that if you will not follow Him, He says you are not worthy of Him. He just wants you to make your decision clear. Get with Him or get with the enemy. But quit pretending there's a fence that you can ride between the two. Get sold out or get out. Like the old screen Song said, if you'll only come to Me on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, don't bother coming at all. We cannot date our God. We can't pick Him up on the weekends, dress nice, saying the right things, take Him out to a nice event and then drop Him back off at home. He wants a marriage with you. He has purchased you for Himself. He wants you to think about Him when you are going to sleep at night, when you are waking up in the morning. He wants intimacy with you throughout the day. This is why the Word says pray without ceasing. That Word is like you have a cough that you just can't stop. Pray, talk to Him as if it were habitual, like just something you couldn't stop doing. You remember what it was like to be in love the first time? How many times in an hour's conversation did she or he tell you, I love you, I love you, as if they were nurturing an insecurity almost? God wants that kind of affection from you. And he will respond to it. What he cannot bless, what he cannot reign on is a divided heart. So Elijah sets up a situation. says, uh, verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let me choose one for them, uh, Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Saints, I'm asking you this morning, examine the soil of your hearts. The thorns and thistles that are there, what have they produced for you besides heartache? But the Word of God and the promises of God, what have they produced for you? You need to examine. Find out where God is in your life. Find out which deeds it is that He's blessing and which cause you to be further from Him. Elijah said to those prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Isn't it amazing how dedicated we will be to doing what is wrong? And how shallow and pathetic we are when it comes to doing what is right. You'll spend all day trying to figure out how to do something that's wicked and not three minutes giving it a chance to work the right way. This is because it's our natural inclination, but we are not brute beasts led by our natural inclination. We are children born of the Spirit of God, and empowered from on high, and we must put to death the misdeeds of the body. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal! Answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> Shout louder, he said. Surely he's God. A little healthy sarcasm. Perhaps he's in deep thought, or maybe he's busy or traveling. You have to love our English translations for this. The Hebrew says, perhaps your God is on the potty. That's the word for busy here. Perhaps your God is relieving Himself. Elijah is taunting them. Saints, how silly we look when we pursue everything that will bear no fruit and spend no time pursuing what bears fruit in our lives. Maybe he is sleeping or must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Think about this. Anything that God ever said, don't do. Anything. Whether we're talking about sex before marriage or whatever it may be. When you break those commands, you find out it wasn't because God didn't want you to have fun that He told you that. It's because it's like cutting yourself with a sword or a sphere. What happens to fifteen year old kids when they sleep together and next week they're not in love? You have two torn people. People who hurt. People that have pierced themselves with many griefs. What happens when you repeat that process hundreds of times before marriage? You have a heart thoroughly riddled with rocks and thorns. So that when you find the love of your life, you have to spend so much of your marriage weeding that garbage out. God's not the joy killer, he's the joy giver. The only thing he ever asked you to do was something that would ask you not to do was something that would pierce you or hurt you. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. Saints, many of you have made dedications to God in your life. You have told Him that He would be sitting on the altar that is your heart. But it's lied in ruins because it's been unattended to. It's time to repair it. Elijah goes on to pour water all over this, both so that the people would see that He wasn't tricking them with the way the fire came, and also because each one of you were cleansed according to Hebrews 10 by having your conscience sprinkled, by being cleansed with the water of the Word. It's time to repair the altar of our hearts. When He got this right, when before all of Israel He repaired the altar that was their heart, when He poured water on it, washing it with the Word, God answered by lighting it ablaze. Elijah both shut the heavens and opened the heavens, all in the same story based on what the people did. The first thing they did after repairing the altar and being set on fire by God was put to death all of the foolishness in Israel. They killed the prophets to Asherah and Baal. They put them in a place called the Kidron Valley, which is where Jesus said hell was. Gehenna. The question is, what will you do with the foolishness that's in your heart? Will you repair the altar? Will you do what it takes to be set ablaze from God are you, will you be content with fireworks from the devil? They go up, they look pretty for a while, and then you need a new drug, something new. Doesn't last. God is like a blazing sun. You can't burn him out. The people were answered with rain because they were obedient to God, and God will meet your needs with this rain. He will meet your need right where you are. We want to read you a couple of scriptures. We're going to close here very soon. Psalm 8611 you should write down. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. You want to do good with God? Teach. Let him teach you his ways. He's put his spirit in you. The Bible calls him the great counselor. The Greek for him is the paraclete. It means a personal tutor. Right there to say, Dave, do this. Dave, I'd rather you not do that. Dave, do this. Like a deposit guaranteeing that you get where you go. He's there to teach you His ways. He is looking for a heart that is not constantly divided. That is not constantly saying, well, if I wasn't a Christian, I would. Well, why don't you go on and get out then? If you long for Egypt, go back. Quit the rest of the group. He wants a sold-out heart and He will strengthen it. In Psalm 51, you hear David cry out after failure. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. When I came to Jesus, I want you to understand something. It was not having gotten it all right. I was in horrible, wretched shape. I came to a place where as I fell to my knees, I was crying out to God, I can't change this. All of the things I was involved in, all the things that pulled at my heart, I couldn't do anything about. I'd tried and failed. I was guilt ridden and I prayed every night, please don't come back Lord, I know that I'm not ready. And when my knees hit the ground, I said, change me. This is David's prayer. Give me what I need Lord. He will meet that need. He's not waiting for you to get it all right. He's waiting for you to say, I need your help. He's in the saving business. That's what He does. Matthew 5.8 teaches us that if you do this, if you allow Him to create in you a pure heart, Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I want to see Him. On that day, I want to see Him. To the Ephesian church, Paul said in Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. He desires for you to be like an inheritance that He's waiting for. Something of great value that He built into you. He's been working in Trevor's life for years because what he wants from Trevor is something that is beautiful. At the end, it will be like inheriting a great trust when he redeems Trevor's body and takes him to be with him to rule and reign the earth. He's been working in Lindsay for years. You are God's project, and he looks for you. He longs for you. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. Now, that's one of those churchy words. Do you know what it means? It means the pupil the very sinner, everywhere he looks, God sees you. That's what the Bible teaches. Hebrews 3.12 gives us a warning that you need to know. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In light of all of God's mercy, in light of all of His patience with you up until this point, what makes you think that He'll tolerate your wickedness one more day? If he does, it's only because his mercy triumphs over his judgment. And he is a merciful God. But don't you use that mercy as a license for immorality, or you may find yourself in Ananias and Sapphira's shoes, or Herod's shoes, or that witch that was a Jezebel written about in the third chapter of Revelation. There is a place where men's sin reaches the place of judgment. For some, it lags way behind them, for others, it goes on ahead of them. Herod was struck dead by an angel. Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying to the Holy Spirit. He said, well, Eric, are you trying to scare people into getting saved? Whatever it takes. I was horrified that I might go to hell. But I was also in love with the King. I both didn't want to go to hell and wanted to please Him all at the same time. I didn't buy a life insurance policy and my deeds show it. I'm not trying to encourage you to, but you need to know God will burn you. You need to know that. Everybody who said God is love, it's true. true. But He loves you enough and loves the world enough to flush the evil out of it. Everybody says, my kid's not bad. He's just in with a bad crowd. Little Johnny's not a bad boy. He's just hanging around with bad people. Well, whose little Johnny is the bad crowd? Right? What if your little Johnny's not just hanging out with a bad crowd? What if he is the bad crowd? Friends, that's some of us. God loves the world enough to purge the evil from it. He's cleansing this earth. You get to decide whether you want a baptism in fire (laughs) or the wheat gathered into the barn. I want the wheat in the barn. I'm going to read you some words. You tell me what they are. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impels them to separation. We hold these truths... Are you all getting this yet? What is it? Declaration of Independence. Listen to this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, In the pursuit of happiness. Beautiful words, right? Thank you, Thomas Jefferson. Where did he get that idea? Because we serve a God who has an exchange program. He wants all men. He wants all men everywhere to be able to experience life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. Isaiah 61, Jesus stands up and says, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. I'm here to preach forgiveness I want to heal the broken hearted. I want to lift up the poor. I want to set captives free. I want to take prisoners and let them out of jail. I want to take those who mourn and comfort them. I want to take those that have ashes and give them something beautiful. I want to take those in despair and give them something to be glad about. We serve a God who will take all of those things, poor, broken hearted, captives, prisoners, mourners, people with ashes and people in despair. And He will give you a crown of beauty, oil of gladness, a garment of praise. He will make you an oak of righteousness. The founders of this country understood that God wanted good things for people. The church hasn't understood it though. This morning I tell you, whatever you have to bring to God, whether it is the ashes of your broken dreams or the captive sinful nature that has held you bound for years, if you give it to Him, He will give you whatever it takes to make you whole again. He has an exchange program. You give Him your garbage, He gives you treasure. What a good exchange program that is. Matthew 9, 10, and 13 is the last that I read today. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Him and His disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What a great question, huh? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Saints, this morning, our King is calling. And He's not calling the ones that have it all together, whoever they may be, wherever they are. He's calling people who know just how badly they mess it up at times. And He's saying, I can make things right. I can give you the oil of joy, the garment of praise, and a crown of beauty. I encourage you, bring Him your ashes. Exchange them for something beautiful. All it requires is that you begin to love Him more than you love yourself. That's all that it requires that you treat him like he's the king and you're the servant. Stand up. Let's pray.